You're listening to the Global Inclusion and Practice Podcast, sharing the stories of DEI changemakers around the world. Vivian Aqua and Marjolein Vlug bring you behind-the-scenes stories and kitchen table conversations about the personal perspectives of DEI professionals, representatives, advocates, and allies, talking about what matters in this work and what sustains us in creating lasting change. There are many of us working on creating a more inclusive world. Let's share our stories. We're in this together. Hey, welcome, Riker Knapp, to the Global Inclusion in Practice podcast. We are very happy to have you as our guest and very curious to hear uh, your answers to what we have in store for you in terms of questions. But first, could you please introduce yourself to everyone listening so that they get a bit of an idea of what you do and why we are interested in hearing more about you? Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So uh, Riker Knapp, like you said, is my name, pronouns he, him. I am currently working as a manager of inclusive learning and enablement at Indeed. And I'm coming to you from the United States out of Arizona. And like I said, I'm excited to, to kind of dive into this to- topic of more of the day in the life of being in this work <laughs> and, uh, and talk more about that stuff. So thank you. Awesome. And when you look at what you do, where you come from, what is the key thing that you would like our listeners to know about you? It's hard to pick out one thing, but... Give us multiple. (laughs) I would say that a lot of times, like, folks come in, like, we get into this work because, like, our own individual identities, because of life experiences, and so... If you if you Google search me, you'll figure it out real quick. But so I'm a transgender man. Um, I think that's kind of what spiked my interest into like advocating for others. And so I I do this work. I uh, come on these podcasts. <laughs> I do these things because of that. Probably that piece of me that has taught me true empathy for others because I've I've been in in situations where. Life was not equitable. Life was not kind. And so I want to do the work to help others not feel like that. But, yeah, that's probably my big my big one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially not... with today's climate, right? Very. Yeah. Very much. Because I probably, and I can imagine, and, you know, statistically, there's plenty of people with sort of similar life experiences as you do that choose to do different things in their you know work days rather than DEI work yeah was there a a moment or a specific thing that made you decide okay this is what I'll do yeah I think it's a culmination of things but there is a moment I I think we can all relate to this but when you have like a marginalized identity you definitely live in state of survival often especially in like your younger years and I was adamant I was like I I'm going to prove everybody wrong and I'm going to be really successful in life like this is not going to be a thing where you know people can say anything negative about you know my my life or what I've constructed as like you know my story I'm going to be successful and so we're talking about Oh my gosh, like 10 years ago. And I was like, well, 
the best way to do that right now is in the corporate world. <laughs> so I got involved and found a, a great profession in the corporate world. And in that, I worked really hard. And so I got into this position where I became a people leader. And in that, uh, the place I was working at the time had a two-day required diversity and inclusion training for all people leaders, which knowing what I know now doing this work, that was pretty amazing that they had this mandatory two-day <laughs> training for all people leaders around diversity and inclusion. And so I went to this training. I was excited to go to it. I can't say like my peers were, but I definitely was because it felt like compliance to people as oftentimes this work does. But I went and it was within like the first probably two hours. The facilitator, the conversation that we were having, I was like, oh my gosh, like this is what I'm supposed to do with my life. Like I need to be teaching people these concepts. I need to be teaching people this level of consciousness that like so many people are just sleeping through. And and uh, that's probably my moment. And I, I literally went up to the facilitator afterward and I was like, I want your job. <laughs> and, she was, and she was like, well, let's get you there. Like, she was, <laughs> like I want your job. I want to. I mean, we're talking about when I went through that training, that was probably about eight years ago. And so I didn't get into, I did a lot of DEI work as like my extracurricular activities uh, for my career for a really long time. And it wasn't until the last like two years that I actually have been like paid to do the work, if you will. So it's actually been my job but I've been doing work for a really long time. You're mentioning something that is interesting for me to also dive a little deeper, and that has to do with DEI training being mandatory for certain levels. What's your take on that? Yeah. First of all, I definitely understand, like, the the both sides, I guess, if you will. Mm -hmm. Like, there's definitely a a need to, for people to understand that this is not a nice-to-have, it's a must-have training or, you know, just education. On the other side, you don't want to, like, push people before they're ready to, like, really dive into the work because it'll just fall flat and not be absorbed correctly. I think there's a way to, though, to kind of do it as a two-step, a dance, if you will, um, where mm -hmm. we're asking folks to maybe dive into an X amount of, like, hours or time and let them choose their own adventure, right? Like, what mm -hmm. do you want? What do you yeah, want to exactly. Here's a bunch of different topics. Which one do you want to dive into, right? And get them interested in something and, like, feed feed the hunger, if you will, and then, then they can go into, oh, like, now I want to learn this, or I want to learn that, because, you know, that was so interesting, or, like, I had no idea, right? Just like anything when, you know, you're in school, and maybe you don't like a certain subject, but you like this one class. Well, if you mm -hmm. can motivate the learner in that way, then usually everything else comes a little bit easier, or more exciting. Yeah. yeah. What, is, what does that bring you, using that approach? I mean, in my experience, for the most part, I, I've uh, encountered folks that 
do get inspired or motivated, maybe they they definitely like latch on to one, you know, marginalized identity or or something like that, and that's kind of always their home base of where they feel their passion towards the work. But usually it trickles around into learning more and different things and repeat learners coming back, asking for more or, you know, showing up to another training or, you know, asking for resources on something, you know, different, things like that. So definitely worked. (laughs) And it helps to work for a company that has that, has DEI as a unique selling point, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Riker, uh, who is your role model in DEI work? Yeah, I, a moment ago I was talking about my my big moment of knowing I wanted to do this work, and uh, it's actually that uh, facilitator. She, uh, her name is Argo. She's a wonderful human, but she was uh, the like original D, DNI program like creator for Wells Fargo like 30 years ago, and. I can't even imagine what it was like to create this work and facilitate it and like try to move a huge financial institution like that into a space of, you know, putting money towards this work. And so I, I fortunately, uh, when I was with my previous employer, I had the opportunity to work really closely with her. She actually like uh, certified me in my first diversity and inclusion facilitation uh, certification. And I got to have many uh, after two-day workshops, cocktails, to <laughs> 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 chat and, you know, debrief, like, the experiences that we had. Mm-hmm. And, and she's just incredible. The amount of patience and, like, understanding that she has and just the knowledge is just incredible. And so I would say she's definitely my DEI role model. I hope I want to be here when I grow up. <laughs> so what's, what's the way in which you do that? How do you sort of grow into that? I, I think I just never stop trying. I never stop mm-hmm. learning, uh, always keeping top of mind that being DEI, you know, professional means that you know that you'll never know everything. And the moment you think you do, you're not doing the work anymore. <laughs> so just keeping that top of mind that it's a revolving door of knowledge and that the world changes and so do you. And you need to stay on top of it and learn more, do better, all that good stuff. You need I'm to make sure that we highlight that, that because the fact that you said at the moment that you, you think you know it all, that you stop learning, that's where the danger is at. And also you mentioned... You briefly mentioned debriefing. Yeah. <laughs> can we dive a little deeper in that? Just a little. Yeah. I don't think you can do this type of work without having, like, a sense of community in the work. So being able to talk through a lot of the microaggressions that come up, even teaching or having one-to-one conversations around mm-hmm. this um, you need to have somebody who understands, you know, the language and the just the impact and the feelings that come up uh, doing this stuff. So I think having those moments of, oh, my gosh, I just had a, 
a really gnarly workshop. <laughs> if you want to get a drink or can you Zoom and so we can talk through it, I need to like process like what just happened, right? Yeah. Is really important. Hi, I'm Vivian Aqua, the Certified DEI Consultant, and I would like to invite you to take your organization to the next level of understanding by collaborating with me. I specialize in helping organizations amplify their DEI initiatives and foster an inclusive environment. Reach out today to learn how I can help your organization unleash its hidden potential and create a culture of belonging. So when you look at this decade, and like I said earlier on, there is a lot happening, whether it's in the U.S., but also in Africa and also elsewhere, right? Mm -hmm. What do you see about this decade that you want to share with our listeners? Yeah, it's really hard right now. That's for sure. I think I want to acknowledge that, like, this is a very tumultuous time. It's exhausting. It's scary. Yeah. A lot of us are afraid right now. I think, and like, I want to also say, like, those feelings are so valid and to, like, honor those feelings and, like, acknowledge them that they're, like, happening inside your body. So your nervous system uh, telling you that, um, mm -hmm. you need to respond to that. But what I also think is that we are in a major transformation period. Whenever if you think about a company, a person who goes through a major transformation could be, you know, a health transformation where they you know, get into a healthy lifestyle. It could be a company shifting to a new branding, something that in between phase before you get there. Rough. Yeah. Really rough. And I just think as a, of course, different, you know, parts of the world are at different phases of their transformation and things, but. I think as a collective, we are evolving into a new level of understanding of like what humans are. And so I think that's my, my North Star or my light at the end of the tunnel um, as I'm doing the work because I know that this is just the really rough patch of making it through that we have so many, so many people in the world that love this work. And are pushing for it. We may not be as squeaky of a wheel as others. That doesn't mean that we don't have like the dedicated like power behind the work. And so I look forward to, you know, five, ten years from now and seeing where we're at at that point. Because as we're getting all this major pushback, uh, I just th think that's a, that's a sign that we're doing the work and we're doing it right. People don't do that. People don't do well with change. <laughs> it's, you know, it's scary for them too, right? Even yeah. if it's not necessarily something we would agree with, they're also, it's fear-based for them as well. Yeah. As, as you're, you're noticing all this, and what I really appreciate about what you said is that you notice what's happening in the world, and you also allow yourself to notice what happens inside you, and you know, how does your body respond. In, in both of those ways, what do you know can you not tolerate? Yeah, so I'm a pretty patient person. Very rare that, like, something can get me fired up. 
but I would say uh, I call it conscious ignorance. So (laughs) it's that choice to not do better when you know better and knowing how it hurts others. That it, it honestly blows my mind that you can, you've seen it hurt, harm somebody or you've seen that act or that lack of care for another person truly like damage an individual and you still are not willing to do the work or pivot into a new direction of a way of thinking or the way you approach something consciously. It, it does not compute <laughs> in my opinion. So, yeah. well, especially with someone who, who is high on empathy. I mean, that's just not how your system functions at no. all. And I appreciate the, the, the phrase, you know, conscious ignorance. It reminds me of weaponized incompetence, which is also a very helpful phrasing. Having the words can help. What, what can you tolerate? What do you have the patience for? Yeah, uh, most other things. But uh, <laughs> now uh, we're done here. <laughs> I think that I'm really tolerant or um, patient with mistakes, especially. Mm-hmm. In, I think it's it's totally okay to make mistakes. To practice and fail is how we elevate ourselves to a, a new level of of um, just. I guess, understanding and, again, confidence. Uh, so I think it's too often, like, we don't give people enough grace in this work, too. Even, like, us ourselves as DEI professionals, we are not exempt from microaggressions. We are not exempt from making mistakes. Like People think, seem to think that, though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I appreciate the, the confidence booster, but it's it's not true. Yeah, we, we make mistakes all the time. Um, and like in order for people to grow and do better we ha- we have to let them make mistakes and like navigate their growth period i think of many times when you know i have these types of conversations either in like in a group setting or one to one and and i get you know somebody that's really pushing back on what i'm sharing with them and I usually get excited in that moment because I'm like, you're questioning everything right now. I love that. You might be bucking back a little bit, but that's okay. This is how you're processing the information. And if your eyes were lighting up as you were yeah. saying that, you know, I'm just <laughs> saying it out loud because people listening can't tell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I think if we don't like accept them where they're at when they start to get into that phase of like understanding and like, you know, the, the blinders, the horse blinders are lifted and I see the things happening around them. If we don't support them, um, that's when people become frozen and they stop diving into the work. They become really static um, out of that fear of failure or it's too much to see it. Um, so if they don't have us as, you know, people who are doing it all the time, guiding and saying, hey, it's OK, we're going to we're going to work through this feeling and like, let's keep going um, if we don't. If we don't do that, that's when we we get the people that, like I said, were that are in the uh, conscious ignorance <laughs> sometimes. So, yeah, yeah. you want to avoid that. <laughs> yes, I like what you said about grace, and also something you said earlier about people when they when they start on that journey or in, in an early stage of that journey, they they find a home base, mm-hmm. something that connects with them most, and then they can explore from there. This 
there's such grace in using that word because home base is very okay you're you're going back to your home base rather than you're limiting yourself you should understand more you, there should already be more I, mm-hmm. I i really love that this is your perspective yeah we all need a sense of community right um that's why identities exist right we we need that that sense of like i can see myself in you and you can see yourself in the experience together and i'm a true believer that nobody on this earth exists without having a form of like an outsider identity or a marginalized identity um some may be really below the surface but everybody has experienced trauma in life everybody mm-hmm. has had something that has told them that they're different or they're less than and um some of course a lot more than others but i think if people can acknowledge that piece of them especially folks who sit in a lot more you know privilege or you know insider experiences we can all realize and take that piece of us and go oh i know what that feels like and mm-hmm. i can see i see you now i see i my my lived experiences is tapping into that empathy piece of myself and i can now feel and understand what you feel it may not be the same scenario may not be the same identity all that stuff but it's that that empathetic human connection that is the most important part of this work and i think that's what takes us to our home base is everybody having that piece and connecting on that piece and that's usually what people's like first connection via like this work is like is it's that first time they identified that piece of them and then recognize this group or this you know whatever that home base looks like for them it could be a one person right but yeah they say running you know doing doing this work within the is like running a marathon and i'm curious into how do you run that marathon when success comes slowly yeah i mean I'll be really honest there's a lot of times where you're like gosh like we're having this conversation again yeah um, but something that I always say is that my little one of my little sayings but is integrity is profitability's long game and so if you stay true to what you're teaching what you know is the right thing for everyone um that brings people psychological safety and mm-hmm. allows them to be themselves and feel joy um if you're doing that and you stay true to that um everything else will follow and it may take time but it always pays off i think of my my pathway to even getting into the role that i'm in it came with 8 plus years of doing this work on the side and doing mm-hmm. the work on the side also is what gave me joy but if i you know got to a point where i was like this is never going to happen i'm never going to be able to do this work as my like full-time profession i boy wouldn't be talking to you today it's it's that acknowledgement that you have to stay like true to it hold on to that integrity and it'll come Just, yeah also when you least expect it usually <laughs> yeah 
I do want to, I do have a curiosity question, and I hope that this is in the boundaries of being respectful and asking this question. And uh, when you were looking for a job, given that you are a transgender um, male, did you purposely look for a company that supports your identity? Absolutely. Every time. Yeah, without, without a doubt. I, there's, I mean, you know, preaching to the choir, but there's a lot of small nuances that are at work that you need to be supported and cared for in mm-hmm. when um, you are, you know, sitting uh, on the margins, especially when your identity is one that's so politically volatile right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so... Yeah, it's it's a must-have. That is probably the most important thing um, when I'm looking for like a, a job or a role. Even how much does this person I'm going to report to, even like within you know my employer's walls, how much do they care about DEI? I'll ask them that in an interview. Do you dive into this work? Like, no, I'm probably not going to do well reporting to you <laughs> because <laughs> it's important to me. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it's it's higher than salary to me, and I'm very money motivated. Money motivated. <laughs> uh, so it's probably my most important thing. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, in terms of reward, in addition to money, what makes <laughs> your work rewarding and worthwhile? And and in what ways do you sustain yourself? Bring yeah. in the energy to then spend it on anymore. Yeah, I kind of touched on it a little bit ago, but I'll share more. My really big reward in this work is like that light bulb moment. I think anybody who has taught in their life has that, mm-hmm. that excitement, but specifically in this work, it's because that light bulb is, has such a huge trickle effect. So no, I mean, Having done a lot of this work for so long now, like having taught somebody one class and them learning a new concept or a new a new empathetic feeling even, and them going from my class to interacting with others and then hearing from somebody who like reported to them two plus years later saying, my manager went to your training and it completely changed them and we weren't getting along. And now like we go for cocktails after work mm-hmm. because of that training, that, that ability to help others foster psychological safety amongst each other simply through the, it, it's, it's such a, it, I laugh because when you really break it down, it's really just, it's empathy. It's people being empathetic for each other, pushing away all the the bias barriers, you know, firing off in their brain and like just pushing them to the side and being like, I'm so sorry that's happening to you. How can I support you? Exactly. Yeah. That's it. That that is the hardest part of the work, y'all. Like that is it. And being able to help guide people into that level of thinking and then that, that just spider webs out and 
knowing that when people leave my training, when people leave, you know, one-to-one coaching conversations, things like that, that they are utilizing that skill set to make others happy and safe makes everything worth it. What do you do between you gave the training two years later? That was mind-blowing because my manager is behaving so differently. What do you do in between getting those energy sources? Yeah, I definitely take breaks for myself. I do things that, like, recharge me. I'm big into, like, DIY. I build a lot of things. Um, so I do a lot of that stuff. <laughs> DEI and DIY. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. I like the acronyms. But, yeah, I uh, I do a lot of things like that. I spend time with my family and, you know, my my children, my my dogs, do a lot of stuff outdoors. So that's my my recharge, probably like more approach of stuff. But mm-hmm. also like while I'm doing the work, I definitely rely on having like a strong team, doing a lot of exercises as like a collective. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you know be brief like we were saying, but sometimes it's just saying, like, this sucks right now. You know, like, this is not easy. I'm exhausted. And, like, being able to hand that over to people on your team and then, you know, say, hey, like, we're here for you. Like, what can we, what can we take off your plate, right? So having mm-hmm. your support system is, yeah. is a really big deal, too. Hey, are you ready to rediscover focus, clarity, and resilience so that you can be a stronger change maker for diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging? I am Marie Lifeluff. I'm a certified coach. And whether you're getting started in DEI or are further along in your journey, I can support you to take your work to the next level. With me as your ally, you can gain clarity on your next initiatives or career goals, make intentional choices, stay accountable to them, deal with the intensity of the work and create real change. Let's talk. I'd love to learn more about you. Reach out, book a chat. I do want to mention to those who are listening and not working for uh, a big company like Indeed or where you have a team, there are DEI communities where you can connect so that you don't feel alone, right? Because Mm -hmm. I I can imagine those who are solo DEI professionals or working with in a, in a very small team, it can become claustrophobic and only, you know, you're only listening to your own advice as well. So I just want to highlight that as well. Mm-hmm. And this work, there, there is a lot, you know, that is being said, assumptions that are being made. And mm-hmm. what is a common myth? about what you do, which you want to demystify. Yeah. I would say probably the one of the big. there's, I mean, there's a lot, like you said. One of the biggest ones is that it's all just touchy-feely talking Happy, about happy. Yeah. <laughs> all, about all we do is talk about feeling. Yeah. And I'm here to tell you that's not true. There is, Demystified, there you go. Right, I will. <laughs> There is so much data and historical research and everything that goes into this work. 
that we do not not me- we don't we don't do anything without measuring it. So that's that you know I think if folks who are listening they've probably heard the word equity come out of my mm-hmm. mouth. It's it's been talked about a lot in this space, and it's because we're trying to let people know this is highly equitable and we're really measuring it. It's not just, you know, if you want less HR claims, <laughs> do DEI work. That is not what's happening. It is so much deeper and so much more than that. And then also for folks who, like, maybe aren't fully invested or believe that it works, I can pull some receipts for you and show you lots and lots of data around what doing this work has done for not just companies, but individuals on performance, on yes, less, like less claims, but truthfully, like less claims just in general of like an employee's lifetime, Um, not just like, you know, HR, like manager related type of relationships, but even like health and wellness stuff as of that feeling of belonging and the empowerment to like be yourself and come to this, you know, where you spend the most time with people, your place of work, just to have that feeling and that sense of safety is it's there's dollars proven. There's safety proven of like an individual. There's so much there. So it's, it's not just little therapy sessions that we're having. There's a lot more to it than that. Demystified. (laughs) (laughs) So most people listening to these uh, episodes in this episode are fellow DEI people uh, in any shape, capacity or form. Uh, What is something that they might not expect about you? Yeah, I am. uh, I'm a big geek. I mean, Mm -hmm. you are. I see something in the video. <laughs> I see something in the back there. <laughs> yeah. I love Marvel. I love yeah. Disney. I love Harry Potter. I love all the things. I'm a big sci-fi fan. I also love, like, horror and uh, thrillers and uh, all that stuff. And I'm a big uh, a collector of a lot of things that have to do with that stuff. So I think on the surface... I don't necessarily uh, give off that vibe, um, but <laughs> I, I definitely am, and I can I can geek out for a long time talking about Marvel, <laughs> Marvel universes and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> Get them started next episode. <laughs> it's definitely a great way to escape the madness and yeah. uh, to you know to uh, to see things in other perspective. Yeah, definitely. Do you have a listening or reading or watching recommendation for us and the people that are listening or watching this episode? Yeah, I, so I don't, I do, but I don't. I, uh, <laughs> I totally sign up for like a lot of um, like newsletters and things like that. I wouldn't say like I have one specific that I'm like, oh, it's all, mm-hmm. they're always like spot on, right? But um, I dive into, you know, things that get, you know, for me, like recommended for me and stuff. But personally, how I like to learn is I like to build my community. 
Um, mm-hmm. I like these types, like even these types of conversations. I am always looking and assessing my sense of community or the people that are in my circle. Mm-hmm. Um, if everybody looks like me, then mm-hmm. I'm not doing something right. <laughs> and so building out my like community of practice, getting into conversations, talking through, because lived experiences are the best ways to learn. And like you were saying earlier, you know, uh, for folks that don't have like a big corporation that they're working for, right, and may not have that ability to have a big sense of community. One of the best ways too. Um, so this is kind of a twofold answer for both of, for both of these, mm-hmm. but is um, volunteering. Yeah. Go and do volunteer work. It could even be maybe you know you don't have many resources around you know maybe like a LGBT organization or like whatever to go volunteer for. Even volunteering for like animal stuff, you're going to have a lot of different folks that are interested and care about those things. And you can really build your community of practice through volunteer work. I will never not volunteer in my life. Uh, I have quite a few organizations that I volunteer for that are like near and dear to me. And that is a, is a, uh, you know, a free, a free experience. But that's the best part is knowing that like, you're doing it and you're learning so much and it's and it's free and rich as well yes. as an experience yeah, yeah. definitely what is what is the final thought that you'd like to leave our listeners with what's important for people to remember yeah just going back to that you know the good majority of our listeners are are people just like us I I would say give yourself grace, take a break, acknowledge all the feelings that you're having. Don't push them down. Don't ignore them because, you know, for the greater good, uh, you need to push through these feelings for the work. We are only as good or as helpful to others as we are to ourselves. And so making sure that we're honoring ourselves and the feelings that we have inside makes us better at this work so do that whatever that looks like every day do something for yourself um, whether that's you have a specific coffee drink that you super love turn off everything go make it um, if that means you need to ground yourself outside go do it if that means you need to cuddle with your cat for 20 minutes go do it whatever that thing is um, something small that you can always do for yourself every day to remind yourself that you also matter in the work and you need to be taken care of just as much as we're trying to take care of the whole world right now. <laughs> Love that. Reminder. Love yeah. that. Thank you. And thank you for, for this beautiful conversation. Thanks for the inspiration and for your thoughts and sharing your, your views. It's uh it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's been nice to talk about it and, and share about uh, a lot of the things that y'all asked. Mm-hmm. Learned so much about you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you thank you for listening you're warmly invited to pause for a moment and think about what stood out to you from this conversation please share this episode with others to inspire them too make sure to subscribe to our Substack channel we'll be back soon with more episodes be well, take care and stay connected